there is a silver lining to the recent IPCC report. And, and I think that it's that it has prompted public acknowledgement from senior government officials that the consequences of inaction are catastrophic and that this cannot wait a second longer. Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Janeri. And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to Hey Change. As you know, we've taken a short break over the summer before embarking on season four, but I wanted to release this conversation I had with incredible Yvette Torres Roman before the summit they are hosting that is taking place on September 20th to the 24th, and that Yvette so kindly has offered free tickets to for all Hey Change listeners. She will talk more about this later, but I wanted to say it now too so that you don't forget to check it out. It's such a wonderful opportunity to learn more and to get involved in a race to zero. you find a link and the promo code in the show notes. I also want to mention that I've started a weekly Substack newsletter where I share thoughts on climate optimism, climate healing, empowered activism, and more. The newsletter is free and you'll receive it straight to your inbox every Wednesday. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and subscribe. Robin and I will be back with lots of more thought-provoking, inspiring, and action-triggering conversations shortly, so stay tuned for Season 4. We also want to say how much we love the positive feedback we're receiving, and it's because of words from you that we find the motivation to keep going. So if you have a short moment, right now or after you're done listening, please go to the iTunes app and give Hey Change 5 stars. 5 stars, you guys. We need 5 stars. With your help, we can continue to grow and attract more incredible guests and speakers. So today we're talking to Yvette Torres-Ramon, the co-founder of Business Fights Poverty, the world's largest business-led collaboration network focused on social impact. Business Fights Poverty is trusted by some of the world's most pioneering international businesses to curate meaningful and productive engagement with their peers and stakeholders. Business Fights Poverty believe in the power of business to help improve lives, livelihoods, and learning opportunities for the most vulnerable people and communities. And in this conversation, you will learn why Yvette believes that businesses can actually change the world, how we ought to bridge the gap in our climate questions, what the road to COP26 looks like, and what actions we can take today to bring a climate-just future closer. I am so excited to share this conversation with you. So without further ado, this is Yvette torres Ramon. Yvette, I am so excited to have you here and to dive into all the amazing work that you're doing, bridging the gap between business and humans and all the action we can take right now to get to climate justice uh, and realizing or understanding what that work looks like. But before we go there, I just want to hear quickly about your path that led you into this world of sustainability and climate justice. Is this something you always felt called to do or when did that shift for you? I suppose it kind of happened uh, 30 years ago when I met uh, my business partner and my partner in life, Zahid Torres Rahman. Um, he was very much into international development, poverty reduction. And um, I sort of at the time just 
followed him uh, to, to interesting countries. And um, one in particular uh, was uh, Guyana in South America. And there I kind of got to experience firsthand what it is to, you know, live in poverty and uh, the struggles that uh, people were going through. And I was um, working in the private sector at the time. And, and I started to see the connections between, you know, how the private sector can actually help somebody's life. And it's, and it's not charity. What most people want is a decent job or an opportunity to start their own businesses. So, so then as my career evolved, I worked for GSK for eight years, um, did other private sector jobs. Um, my partner went into government. Um, we had these very interesting conversations about, well, you know, how can you sustainably help people? And uh, the problem with charity is it, there's definitely a need for it but charity can change it can end somebody can say okay we haven't got the money now look at the UK government right now they've halved um, you know what they're giving it's it's really put a strain on a lot of people um, but if you embed uh, poverty reduction strategies sustainability into your business we're no longer talking about charity we're no longer talking about the one percent of profits that you give away but how do you make the other 99 percent of of your business how how are those profits generated you know big companies employ thousands of people source raw products from all over the world so really sustainable business practices and any policies around climate can have a massive impact on many people particularly the most vulnerable and it was those conversations that kind of got us going between myself and my partner and how we could in a sense bring together lots of different stakeholders to try and solve these issues from you know the charity world from government from academia and mainly from business so let's start broadly what is climate justice and what does that mean to you so we're a people-centered um, organization and climate justice looks at the climate crisis as an issue of fairness, of social justice and responds to it in a way that puts people at the center. So particularly the most vulnerable and, and marginalized, you know, how are they experiencing uh, the climate crisis? And, and what you're finding is that these existing inequalities due to factors such as race, gender or income mean that those who are already vulnerable are at the greatest risk from the impacts of climate change. Now, unfortunately, there are also um, the people who are most likely to be excluded from the opportunities that the transition to a green economy uh, will produce. And, and their voices are the least likely to be heard in the discussions on climate change, both climate change mitigation and climate change adaptation. So if, if this weren't bad enough, the most vulnerable are also the people who are least likely to have contributed to the crisis in the first place. And it's really crucial that we recognize that there's some deep unfairness um, in this situation and we need to do something to change it. For the listener who may not know what that means, can you just give an example of like, why is it that the people are, that are most affected are not getting their voices heard um, and vice versa? Yes, so um, you'll find that there's specific instances, um, you know, in Africa where I was speaking to somebody uh, from Nigeria the other day. She's uh, she's a local um, kind of farmer entrepreneur. She helps other women um, set up their own farms, and what they're finding is that climate is really affecting them over there. There's, you know, from one moment there's, um, you know, downpours. The next there's months of drought. 
Um, these are the people who have least contributed. They're not, um, you know, using their carbon footprint is minute, yet the impact on them is massive. So that is why I was saying, you know, this is a, an unfair situation. I was just reflecting last night because um, where we live in Massachusetts, it's been a very rainy summer. It's been from like rain after rain after rain for weeks on end. And then suddenly it's super hot and then it gets cold at night. So it's been a really weird summer. And I feel like climate change is affecting, <laughs> you know, all, all areas of the globe right now in different ways. But what's happened is that our garden that was so lush and full of, you know, vegetables last summer is struggling this year. And, you know, I just can't harvest as many beans and stuff that I did last summer. And I thought like, wow, I mean, of course, I'm sad that I don't have as, you know, as an abundant garden then as I thought I would. But think of all the people that were like, this is their livelihood. Um, they really rely on farming and the land and the climate to be stable in order to sustain themselves or make some money um, and keep living and feeding their families. So, I mean, I'm, I'm privileged to be able to just go to the store if I can't grow my own, but there's so many people that can't do that. That's very true. It's, um, it's having such a big impact on, you know, millions of people and we don't see them every day. So it's, you know, sometimes what we need to do is, is remind others that there are people who are really feeling the effects of climate and who don't have the resources. Like if we're, if we have a hot day, we'll put the AC on, you know, there's a lot of people, they can't flick a switch and, um, you know, change the environment they're living in. Yeah, I also heard um, some different podcasts. I think it was CSN Climate Question that, you know, it's now, I don't know what they compared it to, but like how it's like now a human rights resource to have, let's say, roof and water or whatever, clean water, maybe. Um, it's going to be the same thing about AC. Like it will be hard to survive a sustained life in any future if we don't have ACs in the building. And so that's just a really different reality to even think about. I hate ACs personally because they're obviously great to have, but like they're noisy and they create a lot of pollution and, and yeah, um, another whole other topic, but I think it's just important to, to be aware of, you know, all the different impacts that climate change are having and the fact that, you know, undeveloped countries, poor communities, um, and people ultimately without a voice many times uh, are being affected the most right now. So we need to be aware of that so we can understand how urgent it is that we take action. And on that note, one of the reasons that we in developed countries are not taking more action for climate change, I think that's kind of changing now in recent weeks even, but for a long time, it's been because climate change feels so distant to us. It feels like something's going to happen in the future. It's happening to other parts of the world, happening to polar bears. And although, of course, we care about those things, we care about the future and polar bears and other people, it's just not triggering that urgent action from within to like, okay, let's do whatever we can to figure this out. And so again, the people who are feeling the effects of climate change can't do much about it. And us who actually have the power to do something are not feeling the urgency to act. How do we bridge that gap? Well, um, I think that really we need to think about climate justice and, and the things that um, maybe we're missing or, or that we're not often talking about. So for me, there's two things that spring to mind. Um, the first is the impact of the crisis on people's opportunities for learning. So quite rightly, there's a big emphasis on the catastrophic impact of climate change on people's lives, people's livelihoods, and this should really absolutely be our first priority. But we don't want people to just exist in the future. We want them to thrive. And it's really important that we start taking action now to ensure that there's equitable access to, to decent work in, in the green economy. 
And, and a big part of this is ensuring equitable access to the necessary skills, development and training um, so that people who are already marginalized are not left even further behind. And, um, and second, um, I think there's, um, we need to find a, a more effective way of really listening to, to the voices of these people that we've, we've been talking about who are excluded from a lot of these conversations. Um, a lot of organizations are recognizing this, but it is a challenge to actually put this into practice, particularly for big organizations um, with a set way of doing things. So, so we need to get better at making sure that we have the right people in the room when important conversations are happening, but also we must be open-minded enough to hear what is being said and to engage in what are different cultural values and solutions uh, that are maybe based on very different systems of knowledge. So, um, you know, we, you know, I'll, I have a question in my own mind, are we ready to accept that people's experience, for example, um, the smallholder farmers that I was mentioning earlier, uh, who are in a rural community, you know, really, you know, very far away from where living, um, are their views just as valuable as maybe a technical model um, in getting to the, to the right solution? And this requires real humility and a curiosity to learn from a very diverse range of perspectives. So what roles do businesses ought to play in tackling the climate crisis, in your opinion? Well, I think there is a danger that climate justice um, might be viewed as something that falls outside of the remit of business or it's like an optional extra. Um, but I think that actually fleshing out the practicalities of the transition and helping to bridge the gap between governments and the rest of us is, is where businesses can really help. Uh, we saw last year that the way that businesses uh, stepped up to tackle the pandemic, creating collaborative partnerships to produce new vaccines and treatments, uh, supporting health campaigns, um, repurposing production facilities. Uh, there was a good example of uh, one of the companies that support us, AB InBev. They, made, uh, they were making beer and the next day they were making hand sanitizer. So there's lots of examples of where there's been that, you know, businesses have stepped up uh, to tackle big issues. Um, and, um, you know, what we're trying to do is take some of these learnings as business fights poverty from the business response to the pandemic and apply them to the issue of uh, climate justice. Um, and last year, we published um, a business and climate justice, justice framework, which explains the practical actions that businesses can take to protect the lives, livelihoods and learning of the most vulnerable people and communities. And I, and I welcome everybody to go onto our website, download that, it's a free resource. Uh, and it really helps you think through, you know, what can my business do? How can I leverage um, my core business, um, my voice as a business, my philanthropy across the, these three dimensions? Well, I personally find the topic of businesses and sustainability so interesting because I think there's been um, some sort of a, a paradigm shift where it used to be like, okay, the only way for me to be sustainable is to either to produce a sustainable product um, and offer that to the market. And if I can't do that, then I'm out. Or I have to donate a part of my, you know, revenue every year to some sort of organization. But I think what's starting to shift is that companies now understand that you can be part of this game, if you want to call it a game, for a climate just future. And there are so many different ways of getting to action and, and pivoting and finding new ways of doing things and looking to, you know, all the stakeholders and not just um, the shareholders in the company 
and what that looks like. And for someone who doesn't know the difference, a stakeholder can be anyone from, you know, an employee to uh, society at large to community and thinking about like what's the long term goal that we're having and not just how can we show numbers for the next quarterly earnings. So it's a whole different way of thinking about business. And I think also seeing your own business or your company as part of the world, you know, like we're part of building something together. And I think I think businesses play a huge part in even enabling any kind of shifts to happen because as consumers, we're buying their products, we need to heat our homes, like we need all these products and services to run the world. And we need to really encourage businesses to do whatever they can and know that we are behind them and cheering them on. There are also different opinions about, you know, what's right and what's wrong. I think progress of a perfection is what we should be aiming for. But, you know, it's also easy to fall into greenwashing and thinking a company is doing the right thing and ultimately they're not. What are ways that you are trying to move past that and make sure that a company actually is serious about the work they're doing? Yeah, so so we're very interested in companies that take this very seriously, that go beyond the things that you've mentioned, like, you know, we're producing a green product or, you know, look, uh, we're, we're, you know, getting our energy from green sources. It's like, you know, where are those hidden issues that often companies, you know, are not talking about? And I think it takes um, some brave companies to come out and start doing the, the due diligence and risk assessments um, throughout their operations and supply chains and look at things like human rights. Um, because actually in doing so, you start to recognize those people who are most vulnerable to climate change in your own supply chains, which often people forget about, you know, where are you sourcing your products? Often it's developing countries. Okay, well, you know, what's the impact of climate change on them? And and companies really need to take responsibility uh, to take action to strengthen the resilience in in those areas. Um, And a key area in which business can help is to strengthen agricultural livelihoods, particularly uh, smallholder farmers in high risk areas. So another example is um, Cargill and Care, who've been partnering for like 50 years. And, um, and they've been working together to help women in, and cocoa farmers learn literacy, digital and financial skills, uh, and increase their access to savings and loans, because actually this is helping them um, increase their productivity, uh, gain the skills that they need to become more resilient. And, and really it's, you know, taking that and helping also local government improve their governance, their infrastructure, you know, all around. It's, it's a holistic approach at the end of the day that is going to better prepare those women uh, in those farming communities for, you know, the crisis that, that lies ahead and that they're already starting to experience. I'd like to just mention one uh, example of how an NGO that's working alongside, you know, bigger, bigger organisations um, there's a green girls organization. They are actually um, helping to ensure that rural women and girls are included in the green economy by training them in green energy. So, so on the one hand, I've been talking about, you know, face being resilient and uh, really trying to manage all the crisis things that are happening. But on the other side of the coin, there's opportunities. And in these transitions to a green economy, Um, We need organizations like Green Girls who are training um, 
women who previously were farmers or, or had other employment in clean energy technologies. And they are helping to install uh, solar panels um, in 48 communities in West Africa. And, and when you add these things up on the one side, the resilience on the other side, uh, helping um, people be more um, um, kind of bought into and, and empowered to take on these opportunities, the better we'll be prepared. I love that you share that story because for me, it's all about interconnectedness and you come from a background in poverty or that's what your business is focused on. And ultimately, I think a lot of people maybe miss out that poverty and climate change and business is all interlinked. Um, and one of the top hundred solutions for fighting climate change, which is presented in Drawdown, um, a book of hundred solutions, is actually about empowering girls and also making sure that the uh, undeveloped countries can reach a, a new standard. And so bringing people out of poverty, they will have you know, better education, less children, smaller families, um, make a smaller impact on the planet at large. So it's not just about giving people better lives. As they get better lives, they also have a, a smaller impact on the planet and population can start to halt a little bit. And it, it, it might feel like there's just, you know, so much doom and gloom and we're just going towards disaster. Um, but I recently read the book Factfulness. And if you look at the numbers and the real fact, it's actually not as, I mean, climate change is dire and it's the science there is really scary. But we also have to remember that things are going in the right direction as well. We are starting to connect with people from around the world. We are starting to empower communities. And I think empower here is really the key word. It's about empowering people women, uh, families, businesses, and in doing so, and the more people that can be empowered, like it's not about power in the old sense where like there's one person on top having power and everyone else has to work under this person. It's like, if everyone can be empowered and have power, then it's better for everyone and for the world and, and for the planet. So um, it's just such an exciting new chapter to move into, I think. Um, and on that note, I uh, really want to start talking more about a road to COP26 in Glasgow in November, because I think there's a lot of focus on it uh, from around the world. People who are not in the field may not have a good idea what's going on there, um, but you do. And also as we're recording this, the new IPCC report just came out a week ago with some really dire climate news and, and realizations of how, how bad things truly are. So what does the road there look like? What needs to happen? And is there any hope at all you think for a climate just future? Okay, well, I am an optimist, so uh, I have to mention <laughs> that uh, I believe there is a silver lining to the recent IPCC report. And, and I think that it's that it has prompted public acknowledgement from senior government officials that the consequences of inaction are catastrophic and that this cannot wait a second longer. Also, I think that this year there will be a much greater public expectation on governments not to sidestep or delay these difficult conversations. And, and I think that as a global community, we really need to keep that momentum up in whatever way we can. So, um, for example, one of the big initiatives in the run up to COP26 from a business perspective is, is Race to Zero. And um, the biggest ever initiative to achieve a net zero carbon economy by 2050 is is this this is the time um, so so really what what we're looking at is in addition to country commitments for net zero commitments are being made by cities and regions but also 
by in, in our case, there's there's three thousand businesses, including uh, business fights poverty, and um, there's 173 of the biggest investors on the planet also signing up to this. So so we've got the momentum, and uh, what we want to do is really get people engaged, particularly from our community, from the business community, uh, from NGOs and government officials who are working day in day out with business to have those difficult conversations in the run up to COP. So one of the key moments is going to be uh, during UNGA, which uh, we have a five day event from the 20th to the 24th of September. And um, I'd like to say that uh, we're going to be offering uh, free tickets to any listeners of this podcast. There is a place to enter a promo code. And if they just type in, hey, change Unger, they will get uh, the five-day ticket for free. And there's loads of great sessions. Apart from climate justice, there's things on opportunity, on partnerships, on women. It's going to be an amazing week. We've been doing this event for uh, over 10 years. And uh, it's always great to to bring people together. And, And we feel that... If we can get everybody, uh, you know, really focusing, sharing best practice, what they're doing, it's it's another stepping stone uh, to COP. And we'll be sharing lots of great examples of what companies are doing within our network. Um, and um, and actually, I'd like to mention in particular Unilever, who uh, through their Climate Transition Action Plan, they have committed to achieving operational emissions to zero by 2030. And they're a massive company. Um, and um, and even their chief executive, uh, Alan Jope, has actually um, mentioned that um, for consumer goods as a whole, his ambition is that really every, you know, the whole industry should follow suit. First of all, thank you so much for offering tickets. That's incredible. It's so excited. And I'm going to link that in the show note as well. So make sure you don't miss that. Sounds like an incredible five days to learn a lot and be inspired and motivated. And something that just came to me as you were talking and talking about Unilever, I know they also were one of the first ones to adapt a stakeholder economy mindset over a shareholder. Um, so incredible leaders in this field. And I got this um, reminder of the four minute mile, you know, how like they thought it was impossible to run under four minutes and run a mile under four minutes. And then one guy, uh, now I don't remember his name, but he, he made it. And then after he made it, it was just one guy after the other kept like breaking the record. So it just takes one person to do it, like a huge company like Unilever going carbon neutral by 2030, who knows what can follow. And I think we have to remember to keep that room of, I always say, keep some room, room in your heart for the unimaginable, because we tend to be so stuck in looking at what's reality right now. But all it takes is for one big shift to happen, and then things start to snowball effect, effect from there. So I'm excited about the future. It's, you know, things are crazy important right now. Um, the best way I can, can describe it. And um, it's easy to lose oneself to climate grief and climate anxiety, especially with the new IPCC report coming out. But we cannot lose hope. And I think also what that's given us, it's just another reason to now, like, it's it's time. Like, it's time, baby. We can't wait any longer. In all the work that you've done with Business Fights Poverty, what gives you hope for the future? Do you know what? I think it comes down to those individuals. Um, I know we've just talked about a big company like Unilever, but that only really happens because it comes down to individuals having the passion, the dedication to really move the needle on these big challenges. And 
if, it, if we can all come together in our community, we're seeing a lot of momentum, a lot of dedication. And because of that, that, that gives me hope for the future. I really feel that the momentum is building and we're getting to a tipping point. And since you're talking about individuals too, because we have mentioned a lot of corporations and, and organizations, what can we do as individuals? Like, how do we start this conversation? How do we start spreading more hope and action um, and empowerment amongst ourselves and our communities and our families and our friends? What can we do? Yeah, I think it's, we have to educate ourselves. And once we've educated ourselves, we need to share what we've learned. We need to, you know, every single person can be an advocate for taking action. And sometimes it's small actions that we take on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it's recycling or being careful about, you know, how much energy we're using. But then otherwise, it's, it's about learning about people who don't have a voice. And in our case, we want to stand for those people who are vulnerable, who are suffering the consequences of climate change and, and other big issues. And really, elevating their voice and I would say if if you're out there um, talking about these issues include some of the stories that that you're hearing today um, find out more about you know what other people are suffering and and, and how their lives are being affected um, because really if if we if we don't stand for the people who don't have a voice then you know we all live on the planet somebody has to and we all should um, you know take on that role and really kind of fight in a sense for, for fairness um, across all these issues um, that really, I mean, they actually, they, I actually get quite emotional when, when I think about the unfairness of, um, you know, many of these issues and in particular climate change. Um, I think if more people were aware of how it's affecting poorer communities, vulnerable communities, even across race, gender, then I think um, more people would do something about it. I actually want to thank you for getting emotional right now because it reminds me of how important it is that we do allow ourselves to get emotional. Something that I keep hearing from people is that it's too scary to think about and how do I not feel this? How do I not get anxious and afraid and, and worried? And I just wrote something actually on eco grief. And I think it's really important that we allow ourselves to have to, to grieve the world and to be, you know, to feel what's happening. Um, because if we don't, if we don't feel how, how can we find the compassion and the motivation to keep going and cling on to whatever, you know, hope there's still left to, to fight. And I think part of, you know, the work as an activist or just a conscious citizen in general is to really, you know, I think first of all, understand that our hearts can take it. We are strong enough to, to feel other people's pain and to know what's going on in a deeper level, not just reading a news, news article and like, okay, now I know and now I'm, you know, I'm aware. But like, what does it mean to actually take that on um, in, a, in, a, in a physical body experience? Like, what does it feel to, to cry over that if you have to? And I think also understanding and remembering that it's through those acts of crying or screaming or whatever you have to do, like walk into the woods and scream if you have to, if that's, you know, what you feel like doing. But it's such a healing way to deal with it because like we need to let that out. Uh, and if we don't, it's, you know, you run a risk of just bottling it up inside and then you become inactive and paralyzed and, and like live life in denial, basically. So I think part of the courage really that we're asked to do right now is to tap into that feeling um, 
and understanding and seeing the world with whole new eyes and learning about these stories that you just mentioned today and, you know, listening to people from around, around the world and not just being their voice, but strengthening their voices and learning how the, you can become a platform for, for their voices too. And then I also say, you know, there are actually life on this planet that don't have a voice, period, which is plants and trees and animals and the oceans. And so we can also speak up on their behalf. But yeah, I think it starts with coming back to center and say, okay, what is our reality and how does that make me feel? Um, and from that place, we can start to heal and empower ourselves and continue to take in more information. Uh, and in doing so too, like connect with other people, find community, um, talk about it. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to be climate experts to talk about climate change. It is affecting the whole world. It's affecting all of us, some people more than others, but it's getting increasingly, you know, just dire. It's just getting worse and worse. And so we need to be prepared for that, both emotionally and practically. But as we wake up to this, awareness how can we get to action so thank you so much for all the work you're doing is there any uh resource that you can actually like learn more stories and read more about all the incredible collaborations you guys are doing yes definitely people should come to our website businessfightspoverty.org we publish uh, blogs on a daily basis we have uh, a ton of reports i think we have over four thousand blogs on our site uh, over 50 reports on a variety of issues and if you if you want to learn more about how your business can take action then uh, please uh, come to our website and take a look okay if you haven't understood how interconnected everything truly is after this episode I suggest you listen again. This conversation truly speaks to how big of a role we all have to play in this exciting journey towards a very different kind of world. A world where stakeholders matter more than shareholders, where businesses can empower communities around the world, and where self-healing and empowerment is an act of courageous activism. Before we leave you today, I have a few more questions for Abet so we can get to know her just a little bit better. Are you a morning bird or a night owl? Morning bird. Great. Me too. The best. <laughs> I don't understand people are night owls, but okay. Um, what's your favorite quote? 80-20. <laughs> Wait, what's that one? So that's, um, okay. Uh, now you've caught me. <laughs> it's uh... <laughs> You had a shortcut for it. <laughs> I, have it, I have it on my computer because I tend to be a perfectionist and I need to be reminded that, you know, 80% of the work is going to be done in that first you know, impulse, the 20% is just going to take too much time and, and the thing just won't get done. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, it's a very short quote. It's post-it notes, 80-20. <laughs> so, okay, in what, in what part of the process do you turn to your quote and like get reminded? Is it when you start getting frustrated or when does it kick in? Yes, it, it kicks in uh, when I start to realize that I'm slowing down. This, it's like a speed thing and, and, and I'm motoring along with something and then I s- suddenly start to slow down. I'm thinking, well, actually, you know, look at what you've done, not what you have left to do. And it's actually better to get that out there and get it done than continue working on something that then won't get to have an impact because you're, you're just, um, you know, in, in particular during the pandemic, that was so key. In, in We used to have a process called the challenge process that took... Uh, nine months and we compressed it to 10 days because people were experiencing you know more gender-based violence um, amongst their workforce and and we knew that business needed a toolkit on how they could help their employees um, manage that and so we did it in 10 days it didn't take nine months and we got it out there and it helped 80 20 you may have just changed my life I'm not kidding 
this is I'm gonna I'm gonna hang that post-it note on my computer as well because I feel like I'm stuck there so often it's like you have a flow and then the flow passes and you're like it's not quite done yet but thank you great quote great quote um okay what's a book that you read that really stuck with you Michelle Obama it's she's an amazing woman and just her life and her resilience and dedication is just amazing really strong woman such a role model yeah that's a good one um okay number four if you could instill one change in the world right now what would that be it would be that people see see business as a force for good it would be it would just really change everything amen okay all right my final rapid fire question fill in the blank I believe in a positive future because I believe people have the power to change things. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to leave you with this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?